Good evening. Let's pray. God, I just pray you teach us a lot more tonight. Um, forgive us for where we've got complacent about things. and Help us to kind of reimagine what it looks like to be people who want to follow you together and want to make a difference. God, I just ask for your spirit in this place tonight. I pray I wouldn't say a word from me, but everything I say would be straight from you. I'm not interested in what I have to say. I'm sure no one else says, God, just your stuff tonight. We want to hear straight from your heart. We want to be obedient as well. We don't just want to hear from you. We want to listen and we want to learn what it means to change so that we can, we can be people who show the world what you're like. We can give them the good news about who you are. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, we're, in a, we're in a kind of a series about community and what it means to be uh, God's people together here. Like especially sort of specifically who we are as we meet together up here on, on a Sunday night, I think. And I, I kind of been preparing this week and I, I got to a stage where I was um, sort of sure what I was going to say. And uh, that was about 10 minutes ago, actually. Uh, I kind of I had something like I mean, it's not every week that you actually get up and you know exactly what you're going to say and you know exactly kind of, you're sure that this is straight from God. But um, some of the stuff that was prayed before the service, which you guys wouldn't have been here for, and some of the stuff that was said during worship, I think God made pretty clear that like what, what I've got is... Is, is what we need. So, um, it's quite fortunate. Or, or, yeah, as it goes. Um, I want to chat tonight. And we're going to take a little look at, um, at Paul, uh, who we've spoken a bit about before. Paul was a guy who Jesus got hold of in quite a spectacular way and sent him on like this amazing mission, no pun intended, where he just went through all, all of the world in those days just because he was so psyched about what God had given him to say about Jesus, that he just had to tell everyone. You could not hold this guy down. Um, and he went through all the cities in, in, in sort of Greece, and he, he made it to Italy. Some said he even made it to Spain. And he went through, and he spoke in the cities. He'd go in, and he'd tell the guys, you know, this is, this is walking to the marketplace, and where people were milling about, so he could tell them, this is what Jesus has done, guys, and you need to get on board with this thing. He'd walk into the synagogues where the Jews were, and would say, hey, guys, I want, I want to tell you what Jesus has done, because it's this amazing thing and you need to get on board with this. And people responded wherever he went, because God's Spirit went with him. And as people responded, he would kind of pull them together in a group, and he would form a little community, which we would understand as a church, but like, there weren't really churches in those, or called churches, but it became these little churches that dotted like city to city wherever he went. And as he, because he had such a hectic timetable, because God was giving him this hectic timetable, you read again and again in Acts about how Paul's in a place and he preaches this word and then straight away the Spirit of God tells him to go over there and he's got to leave. So he literally just like forms this community and God sent him to go to the next place. Now the problem is, you've got to leave that community, pastor and all, with zero training, they don't know how to do it, you can't go to seminary for four years, they have no clue how to do what they're supposed to do to lead this community to start a church. And this is where, like, this is really the birth of why we meet together tonight. So this hectic timetable, and Paul really has to trust that God's going to take care of it. But he puts this kind of plan in place. No Facebook, no email, no nothing. So he, he's off on his way, and he's left these groups dotted behind all over the world as he goes. So the best way to contact people in those days was letter, and it would take weeks for a letter to get somewhere, because you literally had to walk however many kilometers with the letter in your hand to get that there was no like speed services or anything with DHL, nothing. You walked with that letter. 
And often it was someone from the church, he'd have to walk with the letter to go visit Paul, give him, and then he'd respond, and then the guy would walk back. So he'd take like, I don't know, a couple of months to go and deliver a letter. Like, big deal. But this was Paul's thing, because it was the best thing he had to do to communicate. And he would write these letters, because the guys would come from the church and say, we, we kind of had this problem. Like, you told us about Jesus, and, and we get some of that, but we got questioned. And, and here are our questions about Jesus. And we, we're not really sure how to do this community thing. Like, like tell us how to be this community, because we're not really sure how it works, and what, what do we do to be that? So he'd write answers to that, and he'd do more teaching, and he'd, he'd sort out problems, and everything that he could in these letters. Now, we don't have a lot of those letters. We've just got a handful, which, are, which actually make up the bulk of our New Testament. Now, letters from Paul to these churches. You've got books like Romans, and Philippians, and Ephesians, and Galatians, and Colossians, and Thessalonians 1 and 2, and 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. And These are all letters to, to either leaders in churches or churches to tell them and give them advice on how do you do this community thing. And I want to show you something interesting tonight. We're going to read, like the first page of a couple of these letters, okay? Not the whole first page, but just um, some of the pages. Yeah? Like my old paper. <laughs> With comic book writing, doesn't really fit, does um, From Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, so this is the beginning of Philippians, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Let's do another one. He's pretty good, Paul. Um, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, sweet name, to, church, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Do another one. See if you pick anything up. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for those he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. One more, because it's so sweet. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace. Are you getting it? Can I stop? If you go to every single one of Paul's letters, he starts with grace and peace. So there's something about, how sweet is that? There's something about 
Paul writes into these communities that he wants them to know, you guys need to get, before I start with any business, you guys need to get as a community grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And, you know, every time you wrote this letter, it would be grace and peace. I mean, it would have become boring at a point because it's Paul. Okay, just skip the grace and peace and then start when you start talking about it. Grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. So why is it so important that they get this idea about grace and peace? We're going to pull it apart tonight. Just look at these two words. And I, I won't take too long tonight to do it. The first word is grace. And the, and the word he uses is the word charis, which is just Greek for grace. It actually literally means gift. That's, that's what the word means. So when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit even, the word for gift of the Spirit is charis um, of the Spirit. I don't know what something, something in Greek. Um, but the charis is that Greek word for gift. A good translation of this word like in this context might be, and I, I like this when I found it, the wild, unconditional, free expression of the love of God with no expectation of return. That's quite a good definition of grace. As a Yuka, a passion can match that up against Louis. It's not mine. Um, the wild, unconditional, free expression of the love of God with no expectation of return. Paul wants them to get this idea at the start of his letter that you guys have this gift. And this gift is that God has shown his love for you in a way that is wild and unfettered and he doesn't expect anything in return. He's still going to give you this amazing love which he offers you. And for Paul, it wasn't just a concept. It wasn't like, well, you know, uh, you, you guys need to know about grace. And grace is this, and he launches into a teaching. I, I would imagine that when he was with them, he had a story to tell. And they would have heard his testimony everywhere he went about this, this life that he used to lead. Where, and I've told you some of this story before, where he was, he was sort of singled out when he was young as, as, as a good Jew. So they sent him off to Jerusalem to study under this amazing teacher named Gamaliel so that he would become a good teacher of the law. And he became a Pharisee. And the, the, the chances are, we don't know for sure, but that he would have been around when Jesus was around in Jerusalem, teaching about the law. He could have even been in the group of Pharisees that Jesus was um, not being so gentle with. Uh, in the temple courts. He could have been one of the Pharisees who were at the trial that Jesus was taken to. He could have even been someone who was calling for Jesus' death. He, and he was definitely someone who tried to stamp the church out afterwards. But you need to understand, for Paul, all he knows is that God's given us the law, and we need to follow the law. And God had given them the law, you have to remember. And he's passionate about God. It's just that he missed the point that Jesus was the Messiah, that he'd come. Somewhere along the line, he missed that. But everything else, he's, he's gung-ho for God. He's just missed something very, very important. So when he's going out to destroy this group of people and to destroy Jesus and, and all the followers of Jesus, he's doing it because Jesus must be like some cult leader or something. This cult's popping up and I want to protect what God has in place. So I've got to sort it out. And you read in places like Acts 9 that he's the guy holding people's cloaks while they stone Stephen to death. And then he's sent out on these missions to go and destroy the church everywhere he can. And he... He gets quite violent about it. In fact, Scripture at one, one uh, point in Acts speaks about Saul, which was his name before, breathing out murderous threats against, against the disciples and the followers of Jesus. So he heads off to a place called Damascus, because they hear in Damascus that these, these, this kind of cult is popping up, and he's got to sort it out. And he's on his way on the road there, and as he's going, this light from heaven hits him, and he's thrown to the ground, um, he might have been riding a horse, which probably would have made it more sore. And he's, he's on the ground there, and he's blind, and he hears this voice from heaven say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That is not a good moment. 
Like, like think about it. You, you, you have geared your whole life to, to be for God. Everything you do is for God and you want, to, you want to speak to people about God, teach about God, or make people good followers of God. And this Jesus guy came along and you had to sort him out. All of a sudden you hear this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You suddenly realize in that moment, he is who he said he was. Jesus actually is the Messiah. Jesus actually is the Son of God. And now, you're in trouble. I mean, I mean you, you've got to be assuming. And Paul didn't have the New Testament to read, hey? Because he had a hand in writing most of it. He did not have the New Testament. All he read was the Old Testament. And Old Testament, God does some not very nice things to people who call themselves his enemies. He, he must have been assuming there is going to be lightning bolts, and I'm going to vaporize, and there's just going to be a, piece of, there's just going to be a pile of ash. I'm going down. He must have assumed. It's not going to be good for me. I, I, I just imagine flinching, waiting for this kind of wrath of God. And it doesn't come. And his friends pick him up, and they take him into Damascus, and they, 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 they give him a place to stay there. And while he's there, you know, he's blind for, for the time that he's there, and, and, and he must be assuming, well, you know, that's my punishment. God has obviously punished me with blindness, and fair enough, you know, I'll, I'll live with that. And I've, I've got off quite easily because, you know, I didn't die, which happens to a lot of people who have got off. So, so good, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm blind, but I can deal with that. And then someone comes knocking on his door like three days later. It's a guy named Ananias who's actually one of the group of people he came there to sort out. And Ananias comes in and says, you know, I want to pray for you because God sent me to your house now. And he prays for him, and something like scales fall from his eyes, the scriptures say. And he's able to see. And now, hold on. Hold on. Okay, I didn't die. Okay, and now I'm not blind. Okay, what, what else is coming? You're kind of waiting, because like, I've, been, I've been against God. I've been his enemy. I, I've, 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 I've geared my life towards trying to squash what God was trying to do. It must be about to get really bad. No. Okay, well, good. Okay, I, I kind of get let off the hook. That's cool. Okay, I'll go home with my tail between my legs. No. God then turns around and gives Paul a job. <laughs> you know? Gives him a responsibility. He says, I want you, because you have what I need in this moment, I want you to go and tell everyone about me. I want you to go and tell everyone about what Jesus has done. <coughs> so I didn't die. I'm, I'm not blind anymore. And you gave me a job. <laughs> you know, what, what is that? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That, I, mean, I mean, surely I should have bad things happen to me now. And Saul then makes his way, becomes Paul, changes his name, and starts to make his way around the world to tell people about the amazing grace, the amazing gift, the amazing free expression of God's love that has no expectation of return. And he has a story about it. That not only does God say, I know, I know you were you know, against what I was trying to do, but I called you on it. And I gave you grace. And instead of punishing you there, I gave you grace and I picked you up and I gave you a job and a responsibility to do. And that kind of love, that kind of grace, was something Paul speaks about in almost all of his writings, again and again, because it must have been something that was so deep-rooted in him, because he felt it in his story, something that was given to him that he just didn't deserve. Now, to get grace, you, you've got to understand two things, I think. You, you've got to get that you're a scumbag, and you have to get what Jesus did. And Paul knew he was a scumbag because he knew what he was doing before. This, this kind of really sort of drove home to me when I was at, um, when I was at Baptist College. I, uh, I, I, we had an assignment to do. And, and this assignment was to speak about how we treat youth in churches. 
Um, and I went on a glorious rant about how we don't treat youth well in churches. We patronize them and we condemn them and we tune them and we everything else. I, 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 was, I went off because the church I was working at at the time, I was really struggling to bring sort of the, the youth and the, the rest of the people in the church and they felt condemned, they felt everything else. And I went, I mean, I, it, was, it was spectacular. I was very eloquent. And I, I, I was called into the office of the lecturer who gave us the assignment. He sent me down and said, Sean, what's that? Like, what's this assignment? You know, I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite hectic. And I told him, you, you don't get it. Like, I'm going to tell you. And I told him story after story of the stuff that was going on in my church at the time that I was really, really struggling with. And he turned around to me and he said, Sean, you've been very ungracious. I was mad. I was ticked off. I was like, did you hear my stories? Like, I'm, being, I'm, I'm the problem here. I just gave you stories. Did you hear this thing they did and that thing that they, they did it? He said, you're just, you're just being very ungracious. And then he said to me, he said, he said um, you know what, Sean? You need to learn to grieve humanity. What? <laughs> no, 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 Sean, you, you need to learn to grieve humanity. Now, this is a, he was quite a weird guy, this guy. Bit. The first time I met him, he, he looked at me and I said, Sean, but, uh, before hello, Sean, who wounds you? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> What's your name? He's just a very out there kind of guy, very kind of, he was a, he was a proper mystic, this guy. Like, I, I didn't get him often. I mean, I want to be like him one day, maybe, maybe understandable, but like his, his, his spirituality was so deep. Sean, you need to grieve humanity. So I left his office like pretty shortly after that, because I was just ticked off, because he didn't give me sympathy, and he didn't tell me that, that sounds terrible, those things that they're doing in that church, and he just told me to be gracious. So I left, and I went off, and it just... I hated this though, because stuff he said just would not, it haunted you. Like, and I went on for two weeks trying to forget, every time I see him I sort of shoot him a slightly dirty look. But I just had this thing in the back of my head going, Greek humanity. And it just sat with me, sat with me over and over again. And eventually I took it to God, because sometimes it takes me a while. I said, God, what on earth does he mean? What is he on about? And, and it took a while. It wasn't like, boom, okay, I get it. But it, just over time, God said, but just, just look at how we are. As people, look at how human beings are. We're a mess. I mean, I know we'd like to think not, but you know. Because you know you. We're a mess. We're an insecure bunch of people who are desperate for each other's love. Desperate. Desperate for any kind of affirmation and attention that we can get. And we run around doing the nuttiest things together. We're a mess. We're broken. We're broken without God. We are broken. And there's stuff, as we know, that if we let our heart do what it wanted to do, there'd, there'd be trouble. And you see, I often convince myself, like, you know, I, I'm not that bad. That's, that's why I never understood grace, because I was just like, I, I'm, I'm, I do, you know, if someone asks me, do you sin? Oh, yeah, I, I sin. So what did you do this week? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, this, this week, no. What did you do last week? Ah, uh, probably little things in my heart like attitudes. You know, and I didn't really believe if someone cornered me and said, "Okay, why? Why do you know that you have to watch yourself?" I wouldn't have specifics. Why? Because I was comparing myself to Hitler and and and, 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 and pedophiles and people who fly planes into buildings and like really bad people. Because those people need grace. They need Jesus, yo. Like me, I, I I sin and I need a bit of grace, but I didn't get. That all of us are a mess. We're a mess. And all of us have the potential for serious darkness without God. We do. And we need to watch it and be aware of it. And if we get that, I mean, Paul got that. 
Because in one of his letters, Paul says, and I am the chief of sinners. Saint Paul. <laughs> you know, I am the chief of sinners. That's a guy who made a saint. He, he got it. The whole book of Romans is just this massive teaching about we all, Romans 3, 23, we all sin, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. None of us any different. But God's grace, wow, makes up for all of it. He does enough that he calls you in. And he understood what Jesus did. An illustration that really helped me with this. Because I, I, to be honest with you, like I get, you know, Christ died for my sins and, and that's nice. I get that, and I can say that, but I struggle to understand it often. And I think everyone does, because that's why there are so many books written about it. There's so much stuff in it. It's, it's huge. And I don't understand everything of what went on. But this helped me with grace. Einstein's theory of relativity. Ready? Bit of a science lesson. Here we go. I failed science, by the way, so I might get this wrong. Einstein's theory of relativity basically says that time is relative to motion. Response I expected. <laughs> Which means that the faster you go in theory, the more time is compressed. Okay? Are you with me so far? Okay. Imagine you build a rocket ship, okay? And it's very fast. It's faster than anything anyone's ever built, okay? And you are able in this rocket ship to go 170,000 miles per second. That's fast. <laughs> and you take off from Earth. And you fly through space at 170,000 miles per second for 10 years. When you get back to Earth, everyone you know will be 20 years older. Okay, that's the theory. All right. Now, if you take off in your rocket ship and you go 180,000 miles per second, okay, <laughs> and you fly out into space and you're out for 10 years and you return to Earth, 180,000 miles, 73,000 years will have passed on Earth. Okay? Very impressive. Now, if you get in your rocket ship and you go 186,000 miles per second, all time happens in the now, in theory. That's the speed of light. Everything is now. All time is now. There's no past, present, or future. Everything is in the now, in theory, obviously, because we don't have something that fast. Bugatti Veyron, not quite. Very, 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 very fast. Okay? All time happens in the now, speed of light. Scripture often describes God as light. The God is robed in light, that we see Him as light over and over again in Scripture. And it speaks of God. For God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Everything for God is in the now. He's up and above and beyond time. He's not stuck in today, yesterday, tomorrow like we are. He's above it and beyond it. So he looks at everything in the now. Now think about this. Jesus, God's Son, hangs on the cross. And for him as a human being, he hangs on the cross in the year 33-ish. AD, somewhere around there. That's when he hangs on the cross as a human being. But the divine in Jesus is always in the now. That means that in some mystical sense, Jesus, who hangs on the cross, is contemporaneous with you now. It means he looks through time and space as he hangs on the cross at you today. That thing you did today that you're not proud of. He's looking at it and saying, I'm still going to choose to stay here. I'm still going to stay here. That thing you did a couple of years ago, 
He's there with you, looking at you on the cross. Now, now I'm going to stay here. I'm going to die for that too. I'm dying for that as well. That thing that you haven't even done yet, that's still a few years in the future yet, I'm, I'm looking at it now, and I'm still going to die for that. See, the problem is, is we think God is like us. We know that the way that we treat each other is often very conditional. We don't necessarily... We, we, we think to ourselves, if, if so-and-so knew what I've done, they, they might not like me anymore. So I need to keep... And sometimes that's true. You know, sometimes we do need to hide things from people because maybe they wouldn't be or want to know you anymore or whatever. And people are conditional, but God is not like that. There is nothing you have done. There is nothing you will do. There is nothing you did, even today, that He did not hang on that cross and say, that thing too, that thing too, I'm dying for, to sort out, to take care of, and to get rid of. When we get that kind of grace, when we understand that, that's when we can start to give it to other people in the community, and people out there. Because we have to know it in us first. We have to be it with each other. And then we have to get out there and be it with the rest of the world. He goes on, obviously, speaks about grace. And then he uses this word, irene, which is the Greek word for peace. And I found this that just uh, gives a little kind of definition about peace. It's having every kind of good and living in harmony with all things today. See, we, we often have this weird idea about peace as well. Because we think peace means an absence of conflict or just no fighting, you know? Because we hear, we hear or we see pictures on, on, on TV of people at peace rallies about Iraq and they're holding peace signs and chanting peace slogans so that people will stop fighting in Iraq. So that's what we think peace means. Or, or, or beauty pageant contestants who stand up and say, world peace. You know, that's what I want, world peace. It's a genius. Um, world peace, that's what I want. Which just means, like, please stop fighting. You know, don't, no fighting, that's what peace means. Peace in, in Paul's mind and in his culture meant something much bigger than just like, please don't fight. You know, let's, let's not fight. It was actually not just an absence of a negative. It was speaking about a huge positive. Paul wrote this in the, in the Greek because that's the guys who were, who were hearing it. But he would have known this word. Shalom. That's the word he would have used because he was a Jew. And he would have greeted people in the street with shalom. And you'll still hear it amongst the Jews today. Shalom, which is just this word Peace, but not peace like let's not fight. Because let's face it, that's a weird greeting, you know. <laughs> it's just a bit odd. Peace, in their, in this sense, in their context, meant everything. Meant that they believed, and I hope we do too, that at the beginning, God created everything good. That we were right with God, we were right with each other, and we were right with creation of the world. And then something went wrong and came in and messed things up. And we call that sin. We call it this attitude that wants to turn us to ourselves and our own things instead of turning to God. But God is on this mission to bring everything back to what He meant it to be. So when someone in that, in that Jewish culture said shalom to you, said peace to you, it meant, I pray for you, my prayer for you, is that your soul will be right with God. In good communication with God, good solid connection with God, that you would feel right and at peace with your God. They were also saying, I pray, my prayer for you while I greet you with this one word is that you would be right with the people in your life. That you would be relating well to your family and that there would be peace and goodness and wholesomeness in your family. That you would relate well to your friends. That you would relate well to your business partners. That you would even relate well to your enemies. Peace to you. And peace to you in terms of the rest of the world as well. That you would 
go out and plow your soil, that it would give you good crops, that the rains would fall, that everything in your life would be good and healthy and wholesome, and the way that God meant it to be, and they would have this thing in their minds about the beginning of Genesis, this picture of that's peace, that's shalom, right with God and everything else around me. So when you said that one word to someone, you said shalom, you greeted someone, it was much bigger than peace. It was, I wish you every good thing. There's my two says shalom is this. It says God's shalom involves inevitable righteousness, justice, wholesomeness, fullness of life, goodness, laughter, joy, compassion, sharing, and reconciliation. See, the problem in, 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 in history up to that point, and I showed my, uh, my subject a couple of weeks back a DVD that really helps uh, explain this better than I will now, and you can grab it from me if you want. But speaking about how a lot of the world's religions that were worshipping gods would set up altars. And on these altars they would bring sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice to please the gods so that they'd be happy and wouldn't do uh, bad things to you and that they'd give you good stuff that you wanted. But the problem with that was is that if stuff was going well, you have to bring more stuff, don't you? Because you've got more stuff. So percentage-wise you've got to bring more stuff to the altar so that they keep being happy and you can keep on like getting more stuff. So you've always got to bring more stuff when things are going well. The, the flip side of it is that if things are going badly, you've got to bring more stuff, don't you? Because now obviously they're not happy, so you've got to bring more stuff. And if you bring more stuff, maybe they'll be happy with you. So it's always more stuff. And you never know whether you're right with your God. You never knew. But God does something different. Our God, the God of the universe, does something very different. In the Old Testament, he sets up this system where he says, if you come to me with your sacrifice, and I'll tell you exactly what the sacrifice needs to be, no more, no less, this is what it needs to be. And Leviticus is just a book about this and that and this and that, that's what you bring for this and that, and exactly what it needs to be. You bring that sacrifice to the altar, we kill that animal, and you are good, you have peace with me, nothing more, that's enough, and you have peace with me for that year. You are right with me, and you are good with me. Your soul is good with me. And then you'd have a party afterwards. But that's not really enough still, is it? Because you still only have peace for a year. You're still going to come back next year, and you've got to sort the whole thing out again, because you've lost it now, and you've got to come back and make right again for all the stuff for that year. But with Jesus, something different happens, doesn't it? Why not you look at these verses quick? Isaiah 9, chapter 6. And this is like four, five hundred years before Jesus even arrives, people talking about Jesus coming, Isaiah speaking about it. He says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Already he's speaking towards something that Jesus will be, that will bring something once and for all, for all time. When Jesus does eventually arrive, and we read about it in, in the Gospels, in Luke uh, chapter 2, but from verse 14, remember the shepherds are out in the field, and the angels come to the shepherds and um, give them quite a fright, and say this to them, when they're announcing that Jesus has arrived, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. By the way, at the end of that sentence, on whom his favor rests is grace. That's the root again. Peace on earth to all men. Jesus came, and I don't understand it, believe it's true. That he came and that in what he did he bought for us peace with God. Not once a year. Once and for all. 
It's done. If we put ourselves in a place where we say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to live my life with you and align with you. We have peace with God. We don't have to do 15 million things to get it. We have it. He bought it for us. It's ours. And if we know that, if we know that in our hearts and in our souls, if we know that we have that peace with God, we are able to be at peace with one another much easier. And the interesting thing is that peace emanates from grace, doesn't it? Because if we have the grace of God, we know we have peace with Him. What does it look like for a community to know that they have grace and peace? What does it look like for a group of people to not just know it in their hearts, but to be grace and peace to one another? What does it look like for that community to then turn itself on the world set itself loose to say we are going to be grace and peace to the rest of the world. I'm going to close with two quick stories that kind of say this better than I really can. Desmond Tutu, who we get a quote from just now. Do you know how he became an Anglican priest? No? Anyone? If you do, you can't say it because I'm going to say it. Um, he, he was walking down the street one day, and in, in the apartheid era, if you were a black man walking down the street, and there was a white man walking towards you, you had to step off the gutter, off the, off the pavement and into the gutter, and stand there and wait until the white man had walked past, and then you could step back onto the street and the black man walk on. And one day Desmond Tutu is walking down the street with his mom, and a white man is walking towards them. And as, as they get close to him, obviously he's getting ready to step off into the gutter with his mom, um, the white man steps off and stands in the gutter. And as they walk past, he greets them and says, I hope you have a good day. And they carry on, and he steps out of the gutter and walks back along the street. And Desmond Tutu turns to his mom and says, why did that white man do that? And she turns to him and he said, well, that man is an Anglican priest. And he said, I want to be one. <laughs> and he never changed in his mind. Something about, I mean, he became archbishop, but now he's just guru bishop. Dude, bishop, dinner. He's just, a, he's just a legend. And someone who just radiates grace and peace. His whole life is orientated towards bringing grace and peace to every situation he comes into. And one of the most secure people in himself that he knows because he knows who he is. He knows what Jesus has done for him. And now he's on a mission to bring grace and peace. Because that one man, that one white man, showed him some grace and some peace and showed him what Jesus would have done. That story is from a guy named Tony Campolo. Do you know Tony Campolo? He's a speaker from the States. And uh, he flies into uh, Chicago to a big, big uh, speaker. He often used to do speaking engagements around uh, loads of places. And he flew into Chicago. Unfortunately, the only flight he could get meant that he landed there at 3 o'clock in the morning, which is a bit of a bummer. So he, he gets off the plane, takes a taxi into town, and he goes to a local coffee shop just to kind of sit there until the sun comes up, basically. Then he can go to the conference. And he's sitting at a table, and after about half an hour of him being there, a group of ladies comes in and starts to sit, and he just sort of overhears that conversation. And there are prostitutes from the area who uh, have come, usually what they do is they get together after a night, and they check that they're all okay, and then they go and have coffee with each other. And, uh, you know, sit there for a while until the sun comes up and they go, go home and sleep. And he sat there kind of listening to the conversation. One of the people in, in that group, one of the ladies, 
um, mentioned, like quite quietly and sort of in the background, that it happened to be her birthday the next day. And, and, and no one really paid attention in the group, and he kind of picks up that no one had. And, and he, he finishes his coffee and they leave. And then he, he gets to chatting to the owner of the coffee shop and said, uh, who are those ladies there? And he says, yes, well, no. explains the situation and says that they come in, half three every morning, they come in um, to do the same thing, to, to, to look out for each other and whatever. And, and, and Tony Campana says, do, do you know we could do something special? If I meet you here tomorrow morning, could we organize a birthday cake? You know, for that, for that lady, because I overheard that it's her birthday. And he says, yeah, okay, well, I'm sure it's not a problem. And he gives him the cash. Tony Campolo gets off and he goes, speaks at the conference the whole day, does his thing, and uh, great, and he goes to bed at his hotel that night, and then he wakes up early the next morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he goes down to the coffee shop, and uh, he meets there, he's the guy and organizes cake, good, cake, candles, lit. Uh, these ladies come and they sit down at the same table, and uh, he walks out with his birthday cake with candles all over it, singing happy birthday, puts it down on the table. This lady has a weird reaction, she screams, <laughs> And then she grabs the cake and holds it protectively. She says, no one has ever, I don't know how this is possible, no one has ever given me a birthday cake before. And please, can we not cut it? And then she takes it and runs out of the shop. <laughs> he stops and goes, okay. And then does the only thing you know to do when you're a boss. And goes, okay, let's pray. And then... <laughs> And then they say kind of a prayer for her and that God would be with her and show her his love and that she would know something of him today and maybe move towards getting into a really solid relationship with him. And this kind of closes off the prayer as the ladies finish up and they leave. And the guy who owns the place comes up to him afterwards and says, Hey, um, I'm assuming you're a preacher. <laughs> Let's pray is kind of the, the go-to for preachers who don't know what to say. So, um, what church are you from? And he, his, his response is just... I'm from the kind of church that gives prostitutes birthday cakes. How, how much damage do we do? Not, not to ourselves, because you know we deserve everything we get when we make, when we make ourselves look bad. But how much damage do we do to what people see of God when we don't act with grace and peace? We have to know it in us. <coughs> we have to know who we are. We have to know how much God has done to buy us back and to get us to a place where we go, you know what, I'm, I'm a mess, God. But, but you did enough and I believe it and I, and I accept that grace, which is quite a humbling thing to do. And that brings me peace because I know I'm right with you. Now, I'm going to turn that on a world with a vengeance, showing them grace and peace. Rob Bell, who I listen to a lot, um, always has a saying, he says, I love everybody, and you're next. <laughs> that, that we're the kind of people who go, you know, I've experienced grace and peace, and you're next. You're next. Whoever I meet, whoever I come into contact with, that we cultivate a community here amongst us where we live out grace and peace so that we can show the rest of the world in everything that we do. Grace and peace. Let's close our eyes from And we cannot say thank you enough. We deserve nothing from you. Absolutely nothing. We have treated you so badly. So badly. We've used you so conveniently so often. And yet you keep loving us well. 
you still came to buy us back, even though we've done the things that we've done. And we all know, we all know our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, we know. Thank you for your grace. It seems like such a small word, God, but thank you for your grace. And thank you for the peace it brings us with you. That we know that we're right with you, even though we don't deserve it. God, for those of us struggling with relationships, grace and peace. For those of us who don't know where we stand with you, grace and peace. For those of us who are struggling with our finances, with our jobs, with our studies, God, grace and peace. Grace and peace. For those of us who don't understand what's going on anymore, grace and peace. For those we know who are battling, grace and peace. May we be grace and peace. I'm just going to give you a minute, just with your head bowed. You're being too hard on yourself. you running around trying to prove something when actually you have all the grace and peace available to you. You can have it. It's there. He, he offers you grace and peace. You are stressing yourself out. He wants you to have grace and peace. And then he wants you to be it to the people around you. What things do you need to let go of? What things do you need to give back to God and say, God, your grace for this. Your grace for this thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for where I messed up. Your grace, God, please. I want peace with you again. I'm just going to give you a minute, just of silence, just be with God and say what he wants to say. And I'll play.